It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Good day, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. Each week, we are here to share with you the latest health and medical information in our community. And for the better part of two years now, most of that time has centered on the COVID-19 pandemic. As we work our way through the holiday season and the temperatures continue to drop, COVID will continue to be our prime focus as we look to keep making progress to turn back the virus that has claimed the lives of nearly 800,000 people in the United States. Today, we'll cover a variety of topics concerning the pandemic with Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District and with Dr. Brian York, an infectious disease specialist at Cadillac. And tonight, we're going to begin with Dr. York. As we come on the air today, Dr. York, cases and hospitalizations in our part of the country are thankfully heading in the right direction, but we're seeing surges elsewhere across the country in states like Michigan. If you could give our listeners some perspective on why that is. Well, I think there's a lot of factors that play into it, but um, it, if you look back to the end of the summer when the Delta variant first arrived in the United States and we started to see our Delta wave, um, the states that were most heavily hit were in the, the southern half of the United States. And I think um, we've seen the the wave come to an end in a lot of those places, and now it's more the northern half of the, of the country that is seeing waves. And um, the weather, I think, is playing some role in that. I think in the summertime down south, people are indoors because that's where the air conditioning is and it's too hot to be outside. And now in the northern climates, you have the opposite effect where people have been able to do a lot of outdoor activities through the summer. But as it gets cold, it's too cold to be outside. So people tend to move towards indoor activities. And so you start to see more spread. And so the, the, the states that have had really rising case numbers over the past several weeks have been, you know, Illinois, Minnesota, uh, New York State, Massachusetts, you know, states that have now seen some colder weather. So I think that's part of it. Um, So I I think, you know, we also have differing uh, vaccination levels from state to state, even from city to city or county to county. That may play a role. Uh, But in the end, what we're seeing is that the the Delta variant has essentially affected every state. That just that the timing has been a little bit different, and there are a lot of factors that play into that. And uh, unfortunately, we have established a whole new vocabulary during the pandemic. And one of the letters, uh, the words that we've learned uh, to become familiar with, is the word "variant." You just touched on, and there is now a new variant that has surfaced around the world and is starting to get into the U.S. A few cases in our state, but that's Omicron. And what can you tell us about that? And does it have the potential to be as impactful as the Delta variant? So we've actually had a number of variants. You know, before the Delta variant came along, uh, the Washington State Department of Health was tracking a handful of variants that we had seen in fairly large numbers, and then a few others that were a little bit less common here. But all of those were being tracked, and each week we would see varying amounts of each of those those variants. But we also saw a lot of the original what we would call the wild type or the original virus. When the Delta variant came along, what was so unique about Delta was that it spread so easily that it essentially crowded out all of the others. So it made its appearance, and then about four weeks later, it was about 10% of all of the virus we were seeing in Washington State. And then over the next four weeks, it essentially shot up and became 
99%. And on the most recent report, it was still, you know, 995 to 99.9%, somewhere in there. So essentially, that's the variant we are still seeing. What we don't know is whether the Omicron variant will outcompete uh, the Delta virus? Will it actually spread so much more effectively that it will become a substantial percentage of what we're seeing? Or is it going to struggle to overtake Delta? Uh, And it's hard to predict that because in South Africa, where the Omicron variant has emerged, their Delta wave had essentially come to an end, whereas we're still seeing a fair number of cases from Delta. So, you know, in South Africa, it did not have to compete with the Delta variant so much, whereas here it's going to have to do that. And we really don't know how well it's going to be able to compete. And that was my next question, but you've kind of already answered it. But right now, which variant should we be most concerned with? Well, I think we, right now, in the in the moment, we need to be most concerned with Delta because that's what we're seeing. And, and we know that Delta can, can, can cause severe illness. We know that it spreads very easily. So that's what we need to make sure people are protecting themselves against. With Omicron, we're, we're really still waiting to get a better understanding of whether it can cause severe disease. The early indications would suggest that it may not. Uh, we really don't know. There's certainly no evidence to show that it does cause severe disease. It's just too early on to be able to, to generalize that. But a couple things I can mention about that are, are that the, the physician that actually uh, noticed that something was going on that seemed different saw several patients in one week who had really mild symptoms And she didn't think they had COVID, but, you know, in doing due diligence, she sent a COVID test just to be sure. And she had about seven patients in the space of one week that were all like that, really mild symptoms. And she was surprised that they all tested positive. And that's what tipped her off to think this might be a different variant. It seems different. It was actually the mildness of the symptoms that tipped her off. And then the Omicron variant was discovered when they went and sequenced the virus to look for mutations. What got everyone alarmed was the number of mutations and how many mutations were involved in the, the spike protein. But we can't, we don't want to forget that the initial um, hallmark of something being different was that all of these people had had mild symptoms. I guess as we as we talk about these variants and where we are currently, regardless of which one we are speaking to, what is your level of concern for our region of the country as we? work our way through uh, the middle of December? Well, I I do think we're in a better position this year than we were a year ago. Um, If you look back to the the winter wave of of COVID-19 last year, which was in in our area was still essentially the original virus, Uh, very few variants had emerged at the beginning of that wave. Um, We were seeing about 190 to 200 cases per day before Thanksgiving last year. And then, you know, we saw a, a slight uptick after Thanksgiving. We saw another slight uptick after after the Christmas holiday um, that always would bring us back up over 200 cases a day. And then it gradually improved uh, through February and March and into the summer. Our Delta wave preceded the holidays by quite a bit and has actually really trended downward recently. So we were seeing, you know, 270, 280 cases a day about two months ago, and now we're averaging about, um, you know, 40 to 45 cases per day in Benton and Franklin counties combined, which is much better than we were at the week or two before Thanksgiving last year. And so we're right at that point now where we're trying to see, are we going to see any kind of post-holiday 
uh, spike in the cases. And I think we are seeing a little bit of an uptick, but certainly nothing with the numbers that we were seeing last year. So, you know, hopefully we'll see that trend continue. We're just going to keep a close eye on it and keep trying to do everything we can to prevent spread as we get together and gather with family and friends for the holidays. And one other variable that's different uh, this year versus a year ago at this time is the vaccinations available. And and then now at the same time people are being urged to get their booster shots, there's still a fairly high number of people yet to be vaccinated. Maybe address com- uh, completely uh, the risks that completely unvaccinated carry. Well, I think we we've definitely seen that the the people that end up in the hospital with severe symptoms and complications uh, are are mostly unvaccinated people and that's that's frustrating to see because there's not a lot that we can do to rescue people who are having severe covid-19 with respiratory failure and needing support with with breathing um there aren't treatments that can be given at that time that will repair the damage that's been done to the lungs and and reverse uh, the disease process. Um, Whereas we know that vaccination, if they had been vaccinated, you know, a month or so ago, very unlikely they would even be in the hospital, or if they were, they certainly wouldn't be struggling this much. So the, the vaccination is still right now the best way we can protect ourselves from being at risk of severe disease. And I think there are a lot of people out there who who don't think they're at high risk for severe COVID. And I, I understand that, you know, if somebody is young and healthy, um, you know, certainly if they're under the age of 35 and they're not overweight and they don't have heart disease or diabetes, the data would suggest their risk is very low. But we can't tell folks in that situation that their risk is zero because we have had patients that have been admitted to the hospital um, very sick with COVID-19, who who didn't fit into all of those boxes of what we see as being the traditional risk factors. So I think I would recommend that everyone get vaccinated. Um, there have been so many people vaccinated at this point. I think just today it was announced that we had surpassed 200 million Americans fully vaccinated, and we're giving about 1.9 million vaccine doses a day in the U.S. Um, and that's a track record of of safety and efficacy that exceeds any other kind of medication that people take on a regular basis. There's simply nothing else out there that people take so uniformly in such large numbers. So the confidence in um, the quality of the vaccines and, and what we know about them is there to support recommending that everyone receive the vaccine. We're visiting with Dr. Brian York, a Catholic infectious disease specialist. He's going to stay with us for another segment. We'll continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation, and our guest is Dr. Brian York, an infectious disease specialist at Cadillac. And before we uh, shift gears to a larger global review, perhaps, of Dr. York's perspective over what it's been like in this pandemic over the last uh, two years or so, I'd like to continue, get a couple of more questions relative to vaccinations and the importance of, I know we touched on, like as you said, Dr. York, the, the, the point of making sure people who are unvaccinated start that series and get vaccinated and those 
who are eligible to get the booster get that as well. Where does the natural immunity or the, the immunity of people perhaps who have had COVID, where does that weigh in all of this? Yeah, there's actually very good evidence that shows that people who have recovered naturally from COVID-19 have um, very robust immunity from repeat infection. It does wane. Uh, We know that just like we know that the immunity from um, vaccination can also wane over time, which is the reason for the boosters. But the uh, in the period of time, certainly within three to six months after a natural infection, uh, the likelihood of having severe disease from a, a reinfection is very low. And, you know, if you are in that situation where you've already had COVID-19, um, getting a vaccination is, is going to be beneficial at some point. And we're starting to understand that that period of time is probably within about three to six months that you're going to have some benefit from the vaccine. And th- so there's some nuance to that in how we approach, you know, discussing the role of natural immunity Unfortunately, right now, uh, what we're seeing is, is mandates that are, are requiring vaccine uh, either of employers or to be able to participate, you know, travel or go to sports events or things. And none of these mandates actually acknowledge that. So, you know, in my view, there's a lot of nuance to making a medical recommendation for what's the right timing for getting the vaccine if I've already had COVID. I certainly don't think that, that someone should assume that getting COVID is the best way to get immunity. Because what you hear out there a lot is that natural immunity is better than what you get from the vaccine. And, and there is some data that shows that the, the, the kinds of antibodies you form are a little bit more broad. There's, it might be a little bit more robust. And I, so I think there is some validity to that. However, the pathway to getting immunity from natural infection is, is not without risk. And so I think someone who's not had COVID uh, should still protect themselves by getting the vaccine because you can't assume that you're going to have a benign course of COVID and not have any uh, complications or prolonged symptoms. But if you've had COVID already and you're looking at, okay, what's the best time for me to get a vaccine? I think there is some nuance to that that should be explored with your physician. But unfortunately, none of that nuance is, is allowed uh, if if the reason you're needing vaccine is because you have to comply with either a workplace mandate or you want to travel somewhere that requires vaccination, none of those kinds of mandates look at natural immunity at all. They, they tend to ignore that it even exists, which is, which is frustrating. If you would, I'd like to spend a couple of minutes on the past 22 months, maybe peel this back a little bit from your view. Infectious disease is your area of specialty and expertise. What has it meant for you? Have you ever looked, have you stopped to reflect on what it's been like uh, you know, just personally and in and, your and professionally of, of what you've endured and, and seen and work, you know, with your colleagues and just the whole COVID experience, the pandemic experience in your career? Well, when, when this was first beginning, I think we all knew that it was going to be uh, a bit of a wild ride, for lack of a better term, because there, was, there were very high stakes. Um, no one knew up front how dangerous it would be you know, as a healthcare worker to show up and keep working every day, um, you know, the, what, what is the risk to my family if I bring this home? And so early on, there were so many unknowns. It was, it made all of us very nervous. And then over time, we became more comfortable in that way. But then we moved into a period of time where I think there was a lot of, and, and certainly this could happen again, there's just a lot of fatigue and frustration on the part of healthcare workers, because when you 
when you come to work, you want to you want to diagnose someone with a problem that you can fix. You want to find the diagnosis and provide treatment and see people get better. And most of the time, that's what we're doing. We're we're either making the, helping them to get better entirely, or if they have a chronic condition, we're helping them to manage it in a way that they, you know, can can still go on with life and and feel feel good and be productive and be happy and. With COVID, what we saw was failure after failure, even with many of the, the trials that we were doing and the treatments that we were trying to give, what we often saw was that people still succumb to the illness despite all of our efforts. And that takes a toll on people um, who who are, you know, coming to work every day and just becoming exhausted. So, but now, you know, we've reached a point now where I think our, our local healthcare community has a lot of people who are, are very well-versed in how to manage COVID in the hospital, how to manage COVID in the outpatient setting, and they're doing that. Um, you know, with, within our specialty, we're still advising on policies and protocols to try to protect patients, protect healthcare workers. Uh, but as far as the, the routine day-to-day care, the, the internists at the hospital and the primary care providers in the community are doing a very good job of that. And, you know, with every you know, as we go on, we keep having new therapeutic options that are available, and there's there's treatments on the horizon that I think are going to make a difference, which we, we might want to talk about a little bit. Um, but it's so it's I think there's a lot right now that is starting to look more optimistic, but it was definitely a, a crazy couple of years. On those therapeutics, I know we could probably spend the entire hour on it, but if you could maybe take a minute or so to, to, to talk about what the most promising pieces are right now. Sure. And, you know, what I, the one that I'm most excited about um, is the, the medication that's coming out um, from uh, Pfizer uh, called Paxlovid, um, primarily because it's, it's a class of medication that we've used for a long time for HIV. This is a, a drug that's never been used for HIV, but it's similar in how it works against a, a protein called protease. What's nice about that is that the protease enzyme that the virus uses is not the spike protein. So all these mutations we hear about in the spike protein wouldn't affect this medication. Uh, And their initial uh, results suggested about an 85% reduction in hospitalization and death um, when this medication is given within five days of the onset of symptoms. And so uh, that is a striking uh, response to treatment that is as effective as what we see with the vaccines with about an 85 to 90 percent reduction in risk of hospitalization if you're vaccinated. So this is a medication that can be prescribed if someone develops symptoms and they test positive and are tested early enough. You know, if it's given within three to five days, there's an excellent benefit. Um, there's also a medication uh, called molnupiravir that we expect will be available uh, perhaps a little sooner. Also with um, uh, some promising results regarding uh, reduction of risk of death, although not quite as much of a reduction of risk of hospitalization and some other additional side effect potential that we have to worry about. So that's the one, you know, I think that's going to be available sooner. But in the end, what I expect to see is that over the next few years, there's going to be more and more of these treatment options uh, focused on finding more ways that we can treat people in the outpatient setting with prompt recognition and treatment uh, and prevent hospitalization. It's not fair to do this to you, but maybe in 30 seconds, if you could, just a, a concluding <laughs> perspective from your view as we get uh, make our way through the holiday season and where we stand with COVID. Well, I think um, I, I really hope that uh, people can keep doing, you know, what they need to do to protect themselves from severe disease and to look out for their, their family members. And I think, you know, people can 
in a careful way, uh, get together for the holidays and, and hopefully enjoy the holidays with family and friends. And, uh, you know, I, I think this year should be a lot less worrisome than last year was in that regard. So I hope that everybody has a safe and happy holidays and that we continue to see improvement in, uh, in our COVID numbers. Well said, Dr. Brian. You are a Catholic infectious disease specialist. As always, thanks for being generous with your time. Back with the second half of Catholic on Call in a moment. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And as we navigate our way through the holiday season and get ready to uh, enjoy, continue to enjoy ourselves, I guess we should say, you know, I, w- I want to point out, and I've shared this with this audience before, but from w- going more on now, it's 90 weeks. I went through and checked this, 90 straight weeks. We have strived to bring you the latest and most objective information on the COVID pandemic that we can find. And a key resource for us in doing that is our next guest, Heather Hill, the Communicable Disease Program Manager at the Benton Franklin Health District, is with us. And Heather, Dr. York gave us some good insight on where we stand with COVID and all the variants and helping us understand that uh, and how they work. But from your view, what does our overall COVID situation look like right now in this area? And secondly, the new Omicron variant has surfaced in with the state of Washington. Have we seen a case yet here in this side of the mountains? All good questions, Jim. Where we stand right now, as far as case rates go, um, again, like we've said through this, you can look at any given day and see a, a spike or a sudden drop. But what we really want to look at is a multi-day trend, typically looking at that 14-day trend. And as we look today, we are, again, a little bit down from this time last week, a little bit plateauing, and that you know certainly has us concerned because we would like to see it continue to drop much faster. But um, at least we haven't seen a spike like we have in past years like this past Thanksgiving, Christmas time, we haven't seen a huge spike reminiscent of a year ago. But I I don't want us to get comfortable and say then we don't need to do all those mitigation strategies that we've been talking about. We still need to be cautious. As far as Omicron goes, no, we haven't identified any in our community. We still have those three cases that have been identified in Washington State. But I think what the public needs to understand is Washington State has been a leader in genome sequencing for for COVID. A lot more of our tests in Washington State are actually sequenced, and, and they're looking for all these variants. So it's not surprising that we found variants here in Washington State because we do such a good job of looking for them. So what's the takeaway message? I think Dr. York gave a a lot of very, very good information. I listened to what he had to say, and it was very good. And that takeaway message is is understand that throughout this pandemic, we have seen um, all these variants come and go and come and go. Delta certainly really took over. We don't know what Omicron's going to do. But we need to continue to be vigilant. And I think it, the message from the public health perspective is the way we investigate things, we rely so much on information 
from the person with the infection to help us understand how diseases spread throughout our community. So when a contact tracer calls and says, you know, I really would like to interview you, that is so important because that helps um, give us all that information we need to figure out how organisms move about our community, what are the risk factors, and then we can make um, good decisions on mitigation strategies with that regard. And it's interesting that you bring that up, the the contact tracing, because it seems to have maybe fallen away out of the, the public consciousness. But, you know, as you touched on where we are in the holiday season, I myself traveled over Thanksgiving, went to the East Coast. I was on an airplane. I have been fully vaccinated and boosted. And even when I came back, I thought, you know, I'm going to go get tested just to be to be safe when I got back. And I thankfully tested negative. So I feel good about that. And and so the testing mechanisms are there. The vaccinations are available. Uh, So I guess part of the the way to look at this is maybe it's okay. We can continue to live our normal lives and do these things. But as long as we take advantage of of the of the of the treatments, the the diagnostics, the testing, uh, just to, to try and make sure that we're we're being safe. Right. We have a lot more tools in our toolbox than we did a year ago to help um, stop the spread, to help keep us safe, to give us that information to make informed decisions about whether we're going to go to that family gathering or not, or did something happen at a family gathering that now I think it's important to stay home from work so I don't expose my coworkers, or my child should stay home from childcare or school so they don't expose others. We have a lot more tools to, to give us that informed decision-making that is so important to stop the spread. So where, what is your highest concern right now? I know what I've learned over the course of the last two years, especially as we come out of these holiday-type periods, uh, we're about two weeks after Thanksgiving, and are we, are we seeing any kind of uptick in case rates? You know, we're seeing a smidgen. It's it's nothing like it was a year ago. I think there are also a lot of interesting factors that come into play. Our um, testing out at CBC West has certainly decreased over the last few months, and so we're not seeing quite as many tests being run. Um, there's also access to a lot more home testing, and we're hearing about people doing home testing more and more and more. And those are not necessarily reportable. We would love to get that information. That does certainly help us know what's happening in our community. But more people are testing at home and, and keeping that information private and, and for themselves, but hopefully using it to make good decisions about how they conduct their lives. So, I, you know, I think there's just a lot of factors going on that we need to think about when we're looking at our data and not just take it at face value. And I, and I might point out, I went and got tested at the Richland location right off George Washington Way near the fire station. I literally was in and out in three minutes. So it doesn't yeah, they're take very, long. very efficient, both there and at CBC West. And CBC West, you, you get to stay in the comfort and warmth of your car and don't have to get out into the weather. But both of those um, facilities are using the PCR method. There's an extremely fast turnaround, and they are so quick and so convenient. Yeah, I think 24 hours is when I got my result. I want to spend a quick minute, if you could, on these these at-home tests. And I also took advantage of that, what I learned on Catholic on call from you when they came available. I got my set at home the other day. Tell us a little bit about that, and what should people be doing as they approach the Christmas season with these free at-home tests? Sure. Some of this 
say yes, COVID test program test kits are still available. And I think it's important if you want access to these, you really need to act on this now because there is a limited supply. Um, I suspect they'll be running out of them somewhere by the end of the month. But essentially, you can go on to sayyescovidhometest.org, order in your test kits for your household. You get a number of them. It's not just one or two. You get actually quite a few of them. And then our recommendation is just to do some testing, uh, maybe gathering as a family before you head out for a holiday meal with other people. Just do a quick test of everybody. Let's see where we're at. We know that if you do one of those COVID antigen tests, rapid tests at home, and it's a negative, there's a pretty good chance that you, even if you had been exposed, you don't have enough virus in there to actually spread to somebody. That's why, that's the beauty of getting these tests done before you go out and adventure out with friends and family. Do a quick test. See if anybody pops up positive. That's your message to stay home and and not participate in the event. Another good time, I think what you mentioned with that flying back to the East Coast and back, great, come home, you know there's always that potential of risk, go ahead and and do a test. Then you can feel comfortable knowing that at this point in time, no, there was no virus um, that will be spreading to others. So that's kind of where we encourage uh, these to be used. And I was going to say, before we go to our break, we are thankful to have you for another segment. But before we go to this break, if you would, uh, a shout-out to this, these, these testing locations that we have. It, just from talking to, to family and friends that I have around the Northwest, that they don't have this readily available free testing available like we've had uh, literally for months. No, they haven't. Our community is so extremely fortunate, and, and the crew at both of these sites have just been working tirelessly to really serve the community. I know I've worked a lot with Craig Patterson out at the CDC West and his crew and him, they are so dedicated to the health and safety of our community. And they've been at it for a very, very long time and doing a tremendous job. And in fact, right now they've included um, collecting um, toys for the Toys for Tots program. So not only just focused on COVID, but they also want to give back to the community in other ways as well. So if you're interested in getting those tests, two locations, and you may not be familiar with them, the first one, she says, is the CBC West location, which is just out near the CBC campus by the Tri-Cities Airport. And the other one is in downtown Richland, right at the corner of George Washington Way and Swift Boulevard, where the old uh, Richland City Hall was located. Both of those locations have free COVID testing available. We have another segment with Heather with us, and we'll talk to her more right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610-KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And if you missed any part of our program, we're happy to tell you that our Catholic on Call is available on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Catholic on Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we're visiting with Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, before we, we get on to a little bit of vaccination information, 
Uh, I have been uh, understanding there with the pediatric population. I think I was reading a story about a young uh, a family who had uh, this case uh, of, uh, relative to COVID. Tell us a little bit about that. And I know it was very serious if, if, uh, for certain uh, pediatric patients that uh, in, get impacted by this. Sure. It's called multi-system inflammatory syndrome. And not only do you see it, again, it's rare, in, but in children, but you also see the, a similar thing happening in adults as well. And that's where you have inflammation going on in multiple body organs. And the frustration is oftentimes the child may have what appeared to be rather mild symptoms, um, but it can take several weeks after the onset of symptoms for this organism really to start doing its damage to multiple organs within, you know, these kiddos' bodies. And we see heart failure, kidney failure, uh, lung damage. That's why they call it multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Um, There's just a lot of massive inflammation going on in the body, and it can be a very, very dangerous situation. So, again, um, that's one more reason to get your kids vaccinated is you are, are significantly less likely to end up developing that syndrome if you are vaccinated. And, again, we don't see it that often, but here in um, our jurisdiction, there have been three cases of it. So we know it does happen, and it's a, a very dangerous outcome to catching the, this virus. We wanted to share vaccination rates uh, that we've tried to do periodically on this program. And I checked today, the state of Washington, percent of total population fully vaccinated. The statewide is 62%. In Benton County, that number is just under 51%. Franklin County sits at 46%. Walla Walla County is at 56%. And you can actually now go and aggregate groups of counties. And so I did that with Benton, Franklin, and Walla Walla, and that number is at 50 and a half percent. And that's the total population. So Heather, that would include the eligible children vaccinated of age five uh, to 12, right? So we're still not where we probably want to be, right? Right. It would be very good if we were significantly higher than that. Um, So again, going into the holidays, I hate to say it's too late to get vaccinated because it never is, but get your kids vaccinated um, now because we know we're headed into the winter time where we start to see these viral infections really affecting, especially those kids in school and communal settings. Um, It can transmit pretty quickly in those environments. Another key piece of news that has come just in the last few days is an advisory from the U.S. Surgeon General. And it's a call to action to address the emerging mental health challenges confronting our youth amplified by this uh, pandemic. Uh, You know, what's your take on that? I guess not surprising, sadly. Uh, Yeah, sadly, it's not surprising. We've we've heard certainly the stories and and there was a lot of uh, focused attention on our our adolescents' mental health, especially at the time that schools shut down for in-person learning. But I think what we really need to understand is Uh, Adolescent mental health has been an area of concern in public health for a lot longer than COVID's been around. Uh, Data actually shows that um, between 2011 and 2015, this is some national data, that mental health visits to emergency rooms for depression, anxiety, behavior changes actually increased by about 20%. And that was long before COVID was even on our radar screen. 
And so again, trying to look at what are all the factors that are causing this increase in, in mental stress in our adolescents. There's certainly the screen time, uh, a lot more is happening online. They're using their various social media platforms a lot more. And we know that loneliness can really affect the mental health of a child. And then let's um, exacerbate it by having a pandemic that has caused us to uh, miss out on those opportunities for socialization with our peers at school. That will exacerbate a situation that had already started to be noticed. It only made it worse. So I think, you know, the message to families is, and especially to parents and, and caregivers, is children oftentimes will look to those adults in their life to determine how they're going to react to something. So if you have a very upset, angry parent, the child is very likely to feel more anxiety, more stress. So it's important for us as adults in these children's lives to do everything we can to help in a very logical, calm, <clears throat> excuse me, environment to explain to them exactly what's happening, why it's happening, and how you as a family are going to deal with this as best as possible. You need to be the leader in helping your child come to grips with what's going on in, your, in their life. And also... Um, trying to spend some family time together. Luckily, we're back in school. Kids can go back to school face-to-face -face learning. That has certainly improved the situation. But don't miss out on the importance of that family time, the time to check in with your kids. How are you doing? How's life? Um, and have those conversations that will help guide your child into um, feeling a little more connected, a little healthier. We have to do the same thing with our coworkers and each other here at work because we know stress has been extremely difficult the last two years, and we know it's taken its toll on all of us, especially in the healthcare workforce. So we just need to be a little more conscientious and supportive of each other just like families need to do within the home environment. And on that note, we'll bring this night to a wrap. Thanks to Heather Hill, to Dr. Brian York, and all of you for listening to our latest program of Catholic on Call. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next Wednesday night.